Well, hello, church family. It's great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Joel, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting. And I'm so pleased to be continuing on in our sermon series this summer called A Seat at the Table. And we've been looking at these passages in Scripture where people gather together around the table. And we find that just something special happens when we meet together over meals. Jesus just seems to be with us. And he would meet with people over meals all the time in his earthly ministry. And we're going to be looking at another story of Jesus around a table, except this one happens kind of away from the table. And I'll explain what I mean there in just a few moments. But first, a question for you. Have you ever been so distracted that you miss something that's happening right in front of you? And I know the answer to the question is yes, because we live in probably the most distracted culture in all of human history. I mean, just the other day, I was driving my car through Brooklyn, Highway 12, and I could tell in my rearview mirror that the person behind me, not only were they tailgating me, but of course, on their phone. So I just keep my eye on it. Sometimes I even veer off and let them pass, but this time I just decided to keep going. I should have veered off because just a minute later, the person in front of me hit their brakes, and I thought to myself, you know, I'm not even gonna wait to see how this goes. And I hit my brakes and veered into the center lane. And sure enough, this person came right into the place where I was going to be, would have rear-ended me altogether. And of course, they look up from their phone. They don't know what's going on. They start yelling at me like it was my fault. But this is just so normal. We live in such a distracted culture. I mean, I struggle with this as much as anybody. I had the opportunity to take my daughter, Sophie. She's four we're BFFs. <laughs> I'm a huge baseball fan, so I've been really looking forward to taking her to her first game. And uh, it was a hassle to get down there. We took the train, then we got in, we got some ice cream. I bought her a drumstick. She'd never even heard of these things before. Her mind was just lost. We finally sit down in our seats just as the bottom of the first inning is happening. We sit down. I get her situated. I open the wrapper for her drumstick because that's all she wants to do. And then I focus on the game because I'm a huge Blue Jays fan. I want to see what's happening. And sure enough, just a few seconds later, Bo Bichette hits a beautiful home run just two sections away from where we're sitting. And I start screaming, and everyone around me starts screaming, and Sophie starts crying. She's distraught. She doesn't know what's going on. Why is everybody screaming? Has a war broken out? What's going on? And I look over, and I stop my celebrations, and I can just tell she's so scared about what's happening. And I realize that <laughs> within just a few seconds, I already forgot why I was at the Blue Jays game. I can watch Bo Bichette hit home runs from my couch at home anytime, unless he's in the slump, which he is right now, or be with him. <laughs> but I can only take my daughter to the Blue Jays game you know, every so often. And it was her first game, and I forgot that she was there. So I grabbed her, and I gave her a hug, and I let her cry in my arms. And then as I pull her off my arms, my beautiful brand-new white T-shirt from Jack and Jones has chocolate all over it for the rest of the game. I say, you know what? I deserve that. I deserve that. I forgot why I was really at the game. Have you ever been so distracted with life that you miss what Jesus is doing? I mean... How do we avoid the kind of distractions that keep us away from Jesus? How do we prevent our worries from becoming all-consuming and make sure that we stay focused on what is most important? This amazing little passage that we're going to be in today talks about this, and it gives us a great example of what it looks like to fight off everything in the way of just being present with Jesus. That's it. Super simple. Just being with Jesus. It's the story of Mary and Martha. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. This is what it says. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, it starts by saying that Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. This is an important phrase because he is already heading towards what we would call his passion. Ever since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, Jesus knows that his time on earth, his earthly ministry, is coming to an end. They are making their way to Jerusalem. And we know that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be given a, a terrible mock trial. He's going to be beaten, crucified, and die. And he knows this is coming. Now, the village they come to in this story is called Bethany. And we know that not because this passage tells us, but because it actually says so in chapter, uh, John chapter 11 and 12. Mary and Martha show up in at least two other occasions in Scripture in John 11 and 12. And it actually tells us a lot about who they are and what's going on in this passage. In John chapter 11, we learn that Mary and Martha, not only are they sisters, we know that from here, but they are the sisters of Lazarus. And when Lazarus dies and then Jesus brings him back to life, Mary and Martha are at the center of the story. And what's so striking about that passage is how deeply Jesus loves, not just Lazarus. We know that from the story, but Mary and Martha too. I mean, in John chapter 11, verse 5, it literally just says, Now Jesus loved Mar Martha and her sister, Mary, and Lazarus. The other thing to know about where they are in this story as it begins is that they're only two miles in Bethany from Jerusalem. Even though Jesus only started his journey to Jerusalem in chapter 9, just one chapter ago, they're already very close to Jerusalem. And what this means, as theologians confirm, is that this passage is placed in chapter 10 of Luke not because it's in chronological order, but because it fits into a certain theme that Luke is trying to get across. So we're actually further along in the journey. We're closer to Jesus' passion, closer to Jerusalem than it may seem only one chapter in to his journey. Now, as we enter Martha's house, we find something very strange. While Martha is serving her guests, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, I want you to think about that, Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. In this culture, this was not a normal thing to do. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi, which is what they consider Jesus to be, is what a disciple would do. This is a discipleship thing that she's doing. And women would never be allowed to sit at a rabbi's feet because, sadly, and we have a hard time understanding this today, certainly I do, women in that time were considered unworthy of being a disciple altogether. So they wouldn't even have an opportunity to sit at a rabbi's feet. And if somebody tried to, not only would the rabbi tell them to get lost, but everybody else around them, what are you doing here? So not only is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, but what's perhaps even more shocking is that Jesus is allowing it to happen. And furthermore, not only is Jesus allowing it, but Luke records it. He, he actually emphasizes it a little bit. He's again trying to show us how Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's turning everything right again. He's coming in and he is challenging cultural norms and cultural expectations that are not in line with his heart. And the value and importance and equality of women is something we see right here as this passage begins. She was sitting there right among the other disciples. She was there with Peter, James, and John. And she was hanging on every word that Jesus said. And you know something? 
a lot of the disciples, they don't really get it often in, in the New Testament. You know, they have these funny exchanges with Jesus, but Mary just seems to get it. Like instantly, she understands. She, in this moment, is showing profound wisdom. And you know what's a sign of wisdom? Not talking. <laughs> That's something I'm working on. She doesn't even speak in this story. You know, if this was a play, she has no lines. She basically is here to serve as Jesus' object lesson in the passage. He wants to teach people about himself and about true discipleship just by looking at what Mary is doing. Because what she is doing is completely countercultural. And by her quiet example, she is showing us the way of true discipleship. The attention now kind of shifts to Martha, her sister, I think older sister. I mean, I'm the oldest of four. She is putting off major eldest child vibes by how she's behaving in this passage. I resonate with her a little bit. And she's got something to say to Jesus. Here's what she says in verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now listen, if you've been around the church, maybe you grew up in church like me going to Sunday school, Martha gets a really hard time. <laughs> she gets, you know, she gets a hard time. And before we give her a hard time ourselves, let's sympathize with her for a moment. I mean, she's probably got 15 people in her house, minimum. It's probably not a very big house. Certainly by our standards, it wouldn't be. These guys have no jobs. They've got no homes of their own. They're hungry. And, and not only that, but by this time, Jesus is a, kind of a big deal. And, and they are guests of honor. And this is a culture in the Middle East, the ancient Near East, where hospitality was just huge. Like, it was a huge deal. And, I mean, as, as a guest of honor comes into your house, your, your, your house is full. It's, it's time to pull out the fine china. Every last speck of dust should be cleaned. In the culture of hospitality like this one, this is a big day. This is, this is real serious. So she is just doing what everyone expects her to do. It would be unspoken and unheard of for her not to do it. You can imagine, I can imagine, Martha is starting to stew in frustration as she's cleaning in the kitchen and she's got something in the oven. I know they didn't have ovens, but just go with me for a second. She's probably starting to mutter under her breath, oh, I can't believe Mary's not helping me. I've got so much work to do. It's Jesus and his disciples. This has to be the best. You ever get like that? I get like that sometimes, sometimes. We have a four-year-old girl at home, Sophie, and now we have a 10-month-old. Life is insane. Sleep doesn't always happen. So, you know, like, I try to do the best I can to help with chores. I try to help with the kitchen. I do the yard. Sometimes I do bedtimes. I try to do meals because Nicole is always working so hard with Maisie, our 10-month-old. But if I'm honest, sometimes I get into this little mood. You know, maybe I've had a long day as well. Where I feel like I'm doing everything around the house and nobody appreciates me. <laughs> I'm sure none of you ever get like that. But I start muttering to myself, I'm the only one who ever does anything. Meanwhile, Nicole's been up all night. She's feeding the baby. She, you know, that's a me thing. That's a me problem. But I guarantee this is what Martha is doing in this moment. I think we can all relate to it a little bit. She goes to Jesus, and she basically commands Jesus to tell Mary to get off her butt and go do something to help. He says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this stuff by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. I think Lord, by the way, is a pretty funny way to start a rebuke. <laughs> Lord of heaven and earth. Come on, help me out here. She says, don't you care? Which is so funny. 
It reminds me of what the disciples said when they were in the boat in the storm and Jesus was sleeping and they woke him up. Don't you care if we drown? And he rebuked them for their lack of faith. Now Martha comes up, Jesus, don't you care that I'm drowning in these dishes and chores? Help me. (laughs) But Jesus is about to say that Martha is wrong. He's about to teach something very important and valuable because it's not about the dishes or the chores. See, as we talk about this series around the table, it's not about the food. It's not about the live edge table. It's not, you know, it's not even about the people we are with. That's very close. But as we gather together, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the most important thing. It's about love and nothing else. As Martha is serving, she should have been doing it with a servant's heart, not just because it was expected of her, but because of love. And that can be so easy to forget. It's certainly easy for me to forget at home when the dishes are piling up and we haven't been sleeping and there's lots to be done. It's easy to forget that my family, that's what it's all about, and doing it unto the Lord. I have this friend. He's an awesome friend, and uh, we were in a connect group together for a long time, and uh, I learned something very valuable from him. He used to always say, it's all about the love. He still says, it's always about the love. And I remember one time we were having dinner together as a connect group, and we had brought some food. And he looked at me, and he said, did you make that with love? (laughs) And I just burst out laughing, like, dude, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Sure, yeah, sure. And he was like, no, I'm serious. Did you make it with love in your heart while you were making it? I was just like, you're being serious right now. He's like, 100% I'm being serious. He's like, it's all about the love. And this was a theme that he would mention all the time. And he did something that has stuck with me. Every time he would pray, still up until this day, he starts his prayer by saying this. First words, thank you, God, for loving me. And he talks about how when he cooks food for his kids and when he goes to work and everything he does, he tries to do with love. And I think that's so beautiful. It's so simple. And I laughed, you know, the first time I heard it. But there is wisdom there, certainly wisdom in starting every prayer by thank you, God, for loving me, because it helps us to remember what the point of it all really is. The point is not the food. We all need food, but there's another meal coming. We have all of our food, almost all of us taken care of. It's about love. Instead of affirming Martha's important role taking care of everything, Luke, as he records this passage, uses a very interesting word. He tells us that actually she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. She's distracted. She's missing the point. Again, what she was doing was expected. No question about it. And in this culture, she was not distracted. So for Luke to say this, this is interesting. Mary was distracted in this culture. Mary is the one who was not doing what she was supposed to be doing. Martha was just doing what had to be done. The only honorable thing. So why then does Luke tell us that she was distracted? And what was she distracted from? Verse 41. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only few things are needed, and indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Can you hear the kindness and love In Jesus' voice, can you see the love in his eyes as he says these words? Martha, Martha. He repeats the word. He does this sometimes. 
it's a double vocative. It, it's a way of expressing deep emotion. And I believe 100% that Jesus is not saying Martha, Martha in an angry tone. He's not rebuking her harshly. He is gently coming alongside her. He waited till she came to him. Martha, Martha, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. I want to show you a picture. It's a painting, actually, painted by Dutch painter Johannes Vermeer in 1655. And this is a painting of the passage we're talking about. You can see Jesus, Mary on the ground at his feet, and Martha right beside him. Now, I want to point out that the only problem with this picture, it's not a picture, nobody took the picture, it's a painting, is that, you know, Jesus, Mary, and Martha, they did not have white skin. They're from the Middle East. And it's important to mention that because as we teach our kids and as we learn about the Bible, it's so important that we don't make Jesus to be like who we are, that we become who Jesus is. So this is an artistic rendering. It's got a little bit more to do with the period it was painted in, perhaps, than the period it happened in. But you can see it's so beautiful to visualize what's happening in this moment. Jesus is sitting there. He's peaceful calm. Mary can't take his eyes off Jesus. She's just sitting there like a little girl listening to her daddy. And you can see the stress in Martha's face. This is the moment where Jesus pulls her aside. Martha, Martha. See, what he's trying to say here is that Mary made the right choice, and Martha, you made the wrong choice. Martha is worried. Mary is calm. Martha is upset. Mary is perfectly content. Martha is super distracted and Mary is laser focused and unfazed by everything happening around her. Jesus uses contrast so often in his teaching. Read the Bible, read the New Testament. Jesus is always contrasting different things to make a point. Now he's drawing a contrast between two sisters and he's trying to help us understand that what Mary is doing in this moment is the right thing. Why is it the right thing? Well, Mary's choice is better for two reasons. I mean, logically, <laughs> this is not the strongest point, but you got to admit, she's having a much better time <laughs> than Martha. Martha's stressed out. She's worried. She's worried about everything and everyone. And, and Mary is just calm. She's content. She doesn't even open her mouth in this story. She's unfazed. But so much more than that, she is literally in the presence of Jesus. She's sitting with the creator of the world the Messiah, the promised one, the one true God. She's sitting at his feet. And sure, Martha is in the room. Even in this painting, she's right next to him, but she's not present with him. She's not really with him, right, like Mary is. And Mary is experiencing what we know, that in the genuine presence of Jesus, there is freedom. There's joy. There's peace. There's rest. There's contentment. What a word for us in 2022, contentment, fulfillment, purpose, clarity. And with the cross approaching, Mary perhaps doesn't fully appreciate this as much as Jesus or we do with the benefit of hindsight. But this is an opportunity that she would not have much longer. It's not like she could just do this anytime forever. This moment was there and then it passed and she didn't miss it. But Martha did. Mary knows something very profound. And she, like I said, is demonstrating unbelievable wisdom. She knows that according to Deuteronomy 8, that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. 
And she's literally sitting at his feet, listening, hanging on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. God in flesh. And this is the portion, as some translations say. This is the portion she has chosen. That was the last verse of the story. It reminds me of the book of Jonah that ends on a bit of a cliffhanger. The book of Jonah, just like this passage, it ends without a resolution. And this is actually a literary device that the author is using to turn things around and take us from passive readers to first person in the story. Now it's our turn. So he turns it around on us, Luke does, by not completing the story. So Jesus responds, but we don't hear Martha's response to Jesus. We don't see if Martha huffed and puffed and stormed back into the kitchen. Ah, oh, nobody gets it. I guess I'll just do it all by myself. We don't know if she says, she breaks down. She says, Lord, you're so right. I'm so sorry. Here, half-baked bread, take it. I just want to be with you. We don't know what happens. We don't know what Mary does. We don't know what the disciples do. And that's intentional. So it turns around on us. And Luke asks us, the reader, what will you choose? Will you choose what Martha did? Will you choose what is culturally expected of you? Social pressures, the demands of others, distractions, worries, everything that you're upset about? Is that going to lead you? Is that going to guide you? Is that going to dictate how you behave? Is that going to prevent you from Jesus? Or are you going to choose the way of Mary and realize that Jesus is the most important thing and the other things aren't wrong. But when Jesus wants to meet with you, you drop everything and meet with him. He turns it around on us, says, what will you do? Now, as we consider this question, let's take a bit of a deeper look into each person in the story. First with Martha, she's the easiest. Martha is distracted, worried, upset, conforming to cultural expectations, and... You know, this is all too real for us. I struggle with these a lot, honestly. I mean, when I was in high school, I struggled with peer pressure, societal pressures, conforming to cultural expectations, whatever you want to call it. Nowadays, I struggle with distraction, anxiety. I worry about lots of things. I worry way too much. Does this sound familiar to you? I mean, the solution is simple. The solution is just stop, slow down, slow down your life, and just sit with Jesus. <laughs> That's easy, right? Well, doing it is much more difficult than just saying it. So here are some things that I would suggest to you to try. If, like me, you struggle, and like Mary, you struggle with the distractions of life keeping you from time with Jesus, if you struggle with anxiety, worry, you find yourself upset, I mean, the first thing I would tell you is that you and I, we really need to prioritize our walk with Jesus. One thing that has worked for me <clears throat> is waking up early in the morning so that I can read my Bible. Now, I'm not a morning person. <laughs> I prefer to stay up late, but I have kind of turned myself into a morning person because I just love having some quiet time with the Lord and even just with myself before the girls wake up. And I go off to work and do everything else. So I found that disciplining myself to wake up early so that I don't have an excuse to spend time with Jesus has been extremely important in my life. Extremely important. And everybody says they don't have time. Sometimes you've got to make time. 
And if it's something that you prioritize, you will find time for it. So we need to prioritize our walks with Jesus. The spiritual disciplines are something that we've spent a lot of time talking about at Sanctus. Sometimes you got to pull them out of the back closet and use them again. Things like silence, solitude, study, prayer, reflection. I mean, when life gets busy, I'll, I'll just use myself in this example. When my life gets busy, these are the first things to go. And we'll, again, disciplining ourselves to practice the spiritual disciplines. You know, another way to put it is this, another kind of sanctity phrase. We need to put ourselves in guaranteed places of encounter if we want to encounter Jesus. So when Jesus is literally in the house of Martha, in his earthly body, in his earthly ministry, you know, you have a very conscious decision to make. Will I sit over there or will I go in the kitchen? Now, as we have his Holy Spirit and we await his return, how do we sit at his feet? We can't, like, physically see him. We need to put ourselves in guaranteed places of encounter. We need to come to church. I mean, I think now is the time, unless you have a really good reason. When we gather together here in person in church, we encounter Jesus. When we open his word, when we wake up early, it's like a little bit of like, I'm showing you, Lord, that I'm serious about this because I'm waking up when I don't want to. We study the Bible. We practice the disciplines. We work it out in community. And then you just got to do this. Like, what are you worried about? Maybe there's a long list. What are you upset about? Maybe you're hurt. You're carrying something. What cultural expectations are you conforming to? What is distracting you from Jesus? Maybe you've got to write it down and just start giving it back to Jesus. And I would invite you, invite the Holy Spirit into each one of these areas specifically. Because this is what his word says about worry. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have to take these things to prayer. We have to be conscious enough and aware enough of what it is that's stopping us from Jesus so that we can actually turn those things into prayers, give them back to Jesus, and ask him for his help. Because here's one of the big differences between us today and Mary and Martha then. We have his Holy Spirit. At that time, before the cross, before the resurrection, they did not have his Holy Spirit. What Mary was doing was really remarkable. But now I am not asking you to try harder because we can't do what Jesus is asking us to do on our own strength. Invite the Holy Spirit into these areas of struggle and difficulty and just watch and see what he does. Let's look at Mary now. As I said, Mary in this passage is a picture of true discipleship. She's sitting at Jesus' feet doing nothing. It's what a disciple would do to a rabbi. But here's the key question that we haven't covered yet. Is this what Jesus wants to do all the time? Is this what he wants us to do all the time? Just sit at his feet and bask in his presence and do nothing else? I think if I didn't address this question, you might get from this message that we should never clean the kitchen and do the dishes and do all the work, and we should just always sit at Jesus' feet. And I want to clarify, that is not what we should do. <laughs> we should not always sit at the feet of Jesus. This is a special moment. 
Like I said, Jesus is heading towards the cross. This moment is going to pass her by. And in this moment, she absolutely makes the right decision. And the passage is clear about that. Jesus teaches. Luke tells us Mary made the right decision. But remember earlier when I said this passage was placed here out of chronological order according to theme. Well, the theme that Luke is unpacking here in these few chapters in a row is what it means to be a true disciple. And fascinatingly to me, this passage about sitting down and doing nothing in Jesus' presence comes right after the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, basically the emphasis is go and do something about it. Get up, don't do nothing, and do something to help other people. Go out into the world and accomplish the mission of Jesus. Do something. And then we come to this very next passage, and the emphasis is basically stop everything that you're doing and just sit down and listen. What Luke is trying to tell us here is that being a disciple is not singular focus. It's, it's, it's a multifaceted thing. And we need moments, many moments, to stop and block out all the distractions and all the expectations around us and just sit with Jesus. And we need moments to get up and go out and do something for Jesus. If we only ever did things for Jesus, we would be doers, and we wouldn't have any power to draw on. We would be hollow on the inside. That would probably be pretty close to like a works-based faith. Likewise, if we only ever did what Mary is doing in this passage, the world would never know Jesus, and our communities would never be changed. Our families would never be transformed. We would, we would cease to be the salt and the light of the earth. So what does it mean to be a true disciple? We need first to sit with Jesus, first, because we need him to fill us up. We need to, fill, we need to be filled with his power. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit so that we can go out into the world, so that we can experience this life and life to the full that he has come to give us, so that we can be in relationship with him. But this is not a selfish thing where we just get to receive and receive and stay in the presence of Jesus with nothing else going around forever. Oh, yes, we take his presence with us wherever we go because we have the Holy Spirit. But once we have stopped and sit down, once we've woken up early in the morning and spent time with him, now it's time to go out. It's time to go and do something. What, you know, what's the clearest instruction that we have about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The last thing he said, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, Therefore, go! Don't just sit there. <laughs> Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. That is an active instruction. But Luke pairs it with this passage of Mary and Martha to tell us that we have to first sit with Jesus. We have to know him. We have to be in relationship with him. We have to have the power of his Holy Spirit to do anything of value. And once we've done that, it's time to get up and go. So I'll ask you this, as one of your pastors, we talk about the five discipleship dimensions. This is a sermon on what it means to be a disciple. So let's talk about our discipleship dimensions. Celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, engage in mission, share the work. I mean, maybe this is obvious. We've been talking about it a lot. But as a church, right now, we're struggling the most with share the work. We're really struggling. I said about midway through the pandemic to some of my colleagues and friends that as hard as the pandemic was to start, 
like when we didn't know what was going on, if we were all going to die. <laughs> I said, you know, I think it's going to be harder for us as a church to come out of the pandemic than it was to go into it. And it was hard to go into it. But I think it's fair to say I was, I was right. It's been incredibly hard for us to come back and rebuild. Almost every church I talk to says the same thing. You know, they say it takes about 30 days to establish a new habit or routine in your life. And through the pandemic, give or take, we all had about 24 of those in a row. <laughs> so if you got into a habit of staying at home, not living in community, not going out into the world to accomplish the Great Commission, or not waking up early or doing whatever, waking up early for me, doing whatever you need to do to spend time with Jesus, if you established bad habits during the pandemic, it's time to break them. It's time. It's time, Sanctus. We need you. We need each other. We are the church. Time is short. The stakes are high. And you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. You are, right? If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to fight off all the distractions. Slow down the chaos. First, sit in his presence and listen. Mary does not even open her mouth in this story. Listen to Jesus and be filled with his power. And once we are filled with his power, it is time to go. It's time to go out into the world and live like a true disciple. Lastly, and I'll end with this. Let's look at Jesus for a second. This is not a story about Mary and Martha, by the way. This is a story about Jesus. And the thing that stands out to me the most about this whole passage is just how much Jesus loves Mary and Martha. I was really struck when I opened John 11 and 12 to hear some of the words and some of the ways he interacted with Mary and Martha. He loves them. He really loved them. And in one sense, there was really nothing special about these sisters. I think they're just like us. A couple of nobodies from small town Bethany. I'm from small town Port Perry. What's special about me? Well, what's special about me is that Jesus loves me. And Jesus loves you like he loves Mary and Martha. Can you see how much he loves you? I mean, as this moment is happening, Jesus knows his time is coming to an end. But we know something that Mary and Martha didn't know. When this story took place in Martha's home, we know something they didn't know. We know a lot they didn't know. Primarily, we know the power of the cross and the victory of the resurrection. We know that this person sitting in Martha's living room was not just a rabbi and not just a prophet, not even just the Son of God, but the Savior of the world, the Son of God come into the world, taking on flesh to bear our burdens. Why do we not need to be worried? Because he carries our burdens for us. Why and how does he carry our burdens? Well, we see the ultimate version, the ultimate picture of how he carries our burdens when he took our sin and shame to the cross. When he died so that death would die. When he died so that we could be free. So that we could simply sit at his feet. And he was resurrected by God so that we, through his Holy Spirit now, can be in relationship with him so that we can be filled up to go out by him so that we can accomplish Jesus' mission. Even though Jesus has left his earthly ministry, he has empowered us. We are his disciples. And it is now up to us to sit at his feet and then stand up and go out and meet the world for Jesus.
Because we have something that Mary and Martha didn't. His Holy Spirit. And we can't do it without his power. Jesus is our model. He shows us what it means to be a true disciple. And only Jesus can give us the power to block everything out. To block out our anxiety, our worries, our frustrations and distractions. And actually go out and do his work in the world through the power of his Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you love us just as much as you love Mary and Martha. We thank you, Lord, for your profound wisdom, your teaching that shows us the right way to go. Your word truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, we just come to you this morning acknowledging that we struggle with this. As a culture, as a world, we struggle with this. We are the most distracted people you've probably ever observed on planet Earth. Notification here, a war over there, social media refresh all the time. Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to be a true disciple. Lord, for me and for my friends, my brothers and sisters, Help us, Lord, to carve out times in our busy lives to spend with you. Yes, times to pray and tell you how we're doing, but also times just to sit and listen, be filled by you, be transformed by you. And we know, Lord, that this is not all of life. All of life is not just sitting around with you doing kind of nothing together. As wonderful and as necessary as that is, would you send us out, Lord Jesus, as a church? Would you empower us for powerful ministry in Ajax and Pickering and Bowmanville and Port Perry and online, I guess we have to say, all throughout the world and wherever you may call us in the future. But Lord, not just that big picture. Micro, Lord, help us as individuals, as individual disciples to reach the people that you put around us, to do it in the power of your Holy Spirit and to know wherever we go and whatever we do, that you love us. And that's where the power is. In Jesus' name, amen.